This book of Galatians over and over has been about this one true gospel, this one true message of Jesus Christ. And that message in a nutshell is that we are loved and okay with the God of the universe because of what Jesus did in his life, his death, his resurrection. And all we do to receive what Christ has done is we trust him. But also what we've been seeing in this book of Galatians is that, uh, is that although that is the gospel, still, even for professing Christians like, like the people here in Galatia, often people want to take that beautiful gospel message and kind of change it and essentially add to it. Meaning they'll think, yes, of course, it's about Jesus, but it's also about me being good enough to be okay with God. Or, or sure, of course it's about Jesus, but it's also about me following God's law good enough. And it's in response to that, that God through Paul here in Galatians has been lovingly clear and firm. Because that's not the good news. That's not Christianity. That's just typical religion masquerading as something related to Jesus. And yet, bringing us to what we saw last week, yet... That's what the Galatians were leaving the real Jesus for. And that's what people today still often leave Jesus for. And as we did talk about last week, remember, it isn't usually that people leave Jesus for atheism or agnosticism. That, of course, sometimes does happen. But rather, really, people usually leave the real Jesus and the true gospel for a, sure, I believe in God, but I just want to be a good person type of religion. And the Bible and Galatians has been saying over and over that that's not it. Just being a good person is not knowing God or being known by God. Which is why, if you remember, we saw Paul emotionally appeal to the Galatians about this last week. And God appealed to us. He emotionally was appealing to them, saying, I love you. Don't leave Jesus for that. Which then makes it quite interesting what we see Paul transition to now, this week. So last week was a lot of emotion. Please don't leave Jesus. I love you. Stick to the real gospel. But now for this week, what comes next? Well, another long appeal, but not one mainly from emotion. That was last week. But now it's an appeal from Scripture. I know hearing that, we, we may be tempted to totally track and get the emotional appeal, but then we can think that such an appeal to Scripture doesn't really work as much for people today. And in a sense, it is true that for those who don't know the Bible as well, who don't know Jesus, appealing to Scripture may take a little more explaining like it will this morning. And yet, that said, we all still need to remember that Scripture is always God's Word. Right? No matter what the hearer actually thinks about it. And so there's always power in appealing to God's word. But not only that, also remember that because scripture is God's word, it's ultimately what people, what you and I need to hear to keep us trusting Jesus. Because above all, we need to hear what God says. And so that's what Paul's about to do. He's about to use scripture, use the Bible in an interesting way to now appeal again to these Galatians to stick with Jesus. And through that, God's going to be appealing to us. 
Which brings us to an outline of how we'll go through what the Bible says here this morning. So we're going to see Paul use scripture to defend and appeal about this one true gospel. And he's going to basically do so in three sections. And so those will be our three sections this morning. And so first, we're going to see an Old Testament story that illustrates the true gospel. And then second, we'll see an Old Testament quote that shows us who we now are in the true gospel. And then third, we'll end by seeing some practical takeaways for us who believe the gospel. And so in some, first, an Old Testament story that illustrates the gospel, and then an Old Testament quote that shows us who we are in Christ and the gospel, and then third, some practical takeaways. And, and in, a, in that all, remember, the overarching appeal from God's word this morning to all of us is really just keep believing this true gospel of Jesus. Don't leave the true gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus for typical morality or just, I just want to be a decent person, religion. But that said, let's then begin our first section together. And here we're going to see Paul use that Old Testament story to illustrate the true gospel. And we're going to see what the Bible says here in two steps. Because first, Paul's going to give an overview of the story, and then he's going to explain it a bit. And so we'll start with just verses 21 through 23. And here we'll see a quick summary of the story. So look down at your Bibles. Galatians 4, verses 21 through 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So in verse 21, this paragraph begins with, people asking, with Paul asking people back then who wanted to be under the law. He asked, quote, do you not listen to the law? And, and this shows us that the Bible is clear that if we want to be those under the law, those under this idea of obeying God and the Old Testament law for our salvation, if that's you, then you should listen to the Old Testament law itself. Because as Paul's about to show, the Old Testament law itself was always pointing us to this true gospel of Jesus. And that idea is still important for us today because essentially Paul's point is that the Old Testament law, which is the Old Testament that we still read as God's word today, that was always meant to lead the Jewish people and it's still meant to lead us to the gospel of Jesus. Meaning it's not like Jesus showed up on the scene and all of a sudden he teaches something totally new. Rather, in the Old Testament and in the Old Testament commands themselves and the laws, God was always pointing to the coming of Christ and what we call the gospel. And so, and so for us, the point is, if we then decide to kind of go back and make our religion and make our faith more about just kind of doing and following God's law, then ironically then, even if we're doing it in such a way where we're trying to obey God, we'd be going against God because he's the one who meant that law always to point us to the gospel. And, and so that's how this paragraph starts. But then Paul goes on from there, as you saw, and brings up this Old Testament story that he thinks proves his point. He uses that story of Abraham and the fact that Abraham had two main sons from two different women. One a slave woman, and one a free woman. And on this is a little bit of background. You know, this is a story that happened in history from the book of Genesis. And what happened is that God, a while before, had promised Abraham that he'd have a son 
that his son would inherit the land and bless the nations. Right? So that was the promise. But then years went by, and Abraham still didn't have a son, and so it seemed to Abraham like God was wanting him to take it into his own mouth. And so essentially what Abraham did is he took his concubine and slave Hagar, he slept with her, and then they had a son, Ishmael. And so Abraham took God's promise into his own hands. But then in the story, God is clear that Ishmael is not the son that he promised. Instead, years later, God miraculously did provide a son, as he promised, through Sarah, and that son was Isaac. Right? So that's the background. And that's essentially what Paul says, as you can see there in verse 22. But then, as for why he brings up this whole story, his point is shown more clearly in verse 23, because there he gets at the heart of how Ishmael and Isaac were each born. Right? Because as for Ishmael, he was born from the slave woman Hagar, and Paul says he was, quote, born according to the flesh. But in contrast, for Isaac, he was born from the free woman Sarah, and Paul says he was, quote, born through promise. And just so you know, quickly, in verse 29, later in our passage, Paul will say that Isaac was also born according to the Spirit. And, and so I know... All that might be a little bit confusing, but what we essentially see here is Paul using this Old Testament story to put forth two, dif two different options, right? Two different roots of how we can relate to God and his promises. Or we could put them in two different columns if we were writing them on a sheet of paper. So we have God's promises to Abraham, and then in column one, we'd have a slave woman and conceiving according to the flesh, meaning by human effort, Right? And then in column two, we have God's promises to Abraham. And then we have a free woman, and we have conceiving through God's promise and God's spirit. And so that's what Paul has said thus far. As for a quick application for us, if you're tracking, where the Bible's going with this is if we're in slavery, then in our lives and in our relationship with God, we'll focus more on the flesh and our efforts, like symbolized with Hagar and Abraham. But on the other hand, if we're free in Christ in the gospel, then we'll mainly be people focused on God and his promises and trusting him, like symbolized with Sarah and Abraham. But, but more on that in a little bit. But that then brings us to verses 24 and 26, where Paul explains this even more. So look down there, and as you read this, this again is a little confusing at first, but just try to track with the Bible's overall point, verses 24 through 26. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So in verse 24, Paul's interpreting the story about Abraham, these two sons, two women, and he says he's doing it allegorically, meaning it's an allegory, pointing to another reality. And what's that reality? Well, he sees them representing two covenants, which means two ways that people can try to relate to God. And the first way here is Mount Sinai. Right? And Paul talks about that from verse 24 through the end of verse 25. And, and there, he's, he's basically talking about people 
who try to relate to God primarily on the basis of law, instruction, rules. Because Mount Sinai, if you know in the Old Testament, Arabia, was where the law was given. Right? So this is symbolic of people who view God primarily as the lawgiver. Right? And then they view themselves primarily as people who just need to obey God's law. Right? And just taking a second, a break from explaining the Bible over and over, just, uh, I hope we all realize as you hear that how common that still is today. It's so, so common. Because think about it. If you ask so many people, right, people who believe in God, maybe even believe in Jesus, if you ask them, who is God? Right, what is God like? Often for so many people, when pressed, they'll admit that they really kind of just think of God as the big guy up there who, yes, might be a God of love, but mainly who just is watching over us and gives us rules. And therefore, in their effort to relate to him, if they try to do so at all, they relate to him primarily that way. But, but notice, back, back to our Bibles, what does the Bible say that results in? Slavery. Verse 24, bears children for slavery. Then verse 25, Paul repeats that idea, but the emphasis being on the Jewish people in the present Jerusalem who are still relating to God like that. And sadly, that's still the case for many Jewish people today. So that's the first covenant. But then what's the other option? Well, it's the gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And that's what Paul hints at there in verse 26 where he says, but the Jerusalem above, meaning the true heavenly city where God actually dwells, is free, not enslaved. And she is our mother, meaning God's people are born from there. Now, now we'll come back to that idea a little bit more in our next section. But, but I hope you then see that the overall point of this section here together is pretty clear. The true way of relating to God isn't in this bondage to human effort. Right? Instead, the true way of relating to God is being born anew in God's city, resulting in freedom in Christ. Right? Which brings us back to our two columns we had from earlier. Because summing up now what we see here in verses 24 through 26, we can essentially see Paul add a third thing to each of these columns. So thus far we have column one, a person in slavery relying on their flesh. But now third here in this column, we can add that the result of being like that is even more slavery. So, so slavery relying on your flesh equals more slavery. But then on the other hand, we see the gospel. The true message of Jesus. And there we have someone free, relying on God and his promises, and the result of that, more freedom. Now again, I know that's a lot, but that's essentially the Bible's argument here. And so now to really bring this home to us, think about how this really worked in the story again, but then also let's think about how this works for us. Because first, in the story concerning Hagar, right, she was essentially Abraham's wrong attempt, as we said, to take God's promises into his own hands. Right, instead of primarily relying on God, instead of having faith in that moment with Hagar, Abraham took it in his own hands and focused on what he could do, his flesh. And in a way, if you think about it, someone could imagine, someone could argue that God theoretically in the story could have taken that son Ishmael and he could have said, okay, Abraham, Ishmael is now that son according to the promise. 
But, but God didn't do that. And that's because God wanted it to be plain that he's a God of grace, a God of faith, and a God mainly about his promises and not dependent on our works and our efforts. Right? And so instead, in the story, God had Sarah conceive Isaac. And what did Sarah do to actually make that happen, essentially, especially at her really old age? Well, not much. Right? Or better yet, since the emphasis actually in verse 23 is on Isaac, about the son who was born according to promise, ask yourself this, what did Isaac do to get God's promise of being born? Well, really nothing. Right? It's kind of a silly question. And that's the point. God promised, and God did it. All right, and that's then a picture of you and I in this gospel. God makes the promise of deliverance and love and peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God accomplishes that gospel. And so, once again, the point is, if or when we decide to go back and make it primarily about our works, our obedience, our efforts, we've missed it. That's not relying on God and his promises. It's relying on us and our flesh, like Abraham did with Hagar. And to really break this down, this, this relying on God instead of our efforts and flesh directly applies to all of us in essentially two ways. And I think a good way to see these ways is to use that phrase, taking it into my own hands. Because right, that's essentially what Abraham did with Hagar. He took God's promise. He took it into his own hands. And that's what we need to watch out for in two ways. Two ways. First, and biggest of all, we need to all apply this in how we're right with God. Right now and when we die and forevermore. Because, because ask yourself, as you're hearing all this, do I mainly take that prospect of being right with God into my own hands? Right? Relying on how good I've been relying on how I've been a decent person or not been as bad as that person in my life? Or do I not take that into my own hands at all and just rely on Jesus? Because that's the picture of really believing the gospel or not. Because if you take the idea of being right with the God of the universe into your own hands, even just a little bit, then you will be relying on what you do. And not only will that not work, but it will result in more slavery for you. Because when are you good enough? When are you better than those people? When have you gone to church enough? And also in all that, it will be slavery because God to you will be just kind of like the lawgiver and not like the Father, Son, Spirit that he actually is. And so for all of us, that's the first way to apply this. We need to take, we need to not take it into our own hands concerning how we're right with God. Again, now when we die and forever, we put that totally right, in Jesus' crucified hands. But then second, we can also use that phrase, taking it into my own hands, and apply it not only to this gospel's prospect of being okay with God forever, but also apply that to our daily lives. Because remember, the Bible says that the righteous, those right with God, live by faith. Not just saved by faith, but we live by faith. And this means that a big part of our daily living as Christians is to be trusting in God actively and not just taking things into our own hands. And now, this doesn't mean we don't act. 
Right? For example, Abraham still acted and, and lived life with Isaac. Even though he knew that Isaac was the child of the promise, Abraham still loved Isaac. He still raised Isaac faithfully. He still taught Isaac about being a man. He still instructed Isaac about the Lord. And so our living by faith in God's promises doesn't mean we become passive people. Right? Far from it. Rather, it means that as we act, as we do, and as we live our lives, we don't do so from this slavery of thinking, man, I need to be good enough, or I need to control everything. Instead, we act in freedom, knowing that we are loved and forever saved in Jesus, and knowing that the God who saved us in the gospel is loving, good, he's in control, and therefore he is trustworthy. Because church, that's true freedom. Right? It's freedom as opposed to slavery in how we're saved, and it's freedom as opposed to slavery in how we have God as we live our lives. And that's what the gospel is meant to bring. So that's our first section, which brings us now to our second section. And here we will see that Old Testament that shows us who we now are in the gospel. For this will be in verses 26 through 28. So now we're just going to read those verses, 26 through 28, and then we'll come back and see who we now are in the gospel. So look down your Bibles. Paul continues verses. We'll pick up again in verse 26, read through verse 28. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So first, notice two quick things about who we are here. Number one, in verse 26, as we've already talked about, in the gospel of Jesus, we're free. And then number two, verse 28, Paul builds on that by saying, like Isaac, we're children of promise. And both of those should make a little more sense now after seeing what we saw in the last section because in the gospel, we're not enslaved to our efforts. Instead, we're free in Christ and we're children of promise. Meaning we're those born from this heavenly city, Jerusalem, born of God, not because of what we do, but because of what God has done and promised to do in Christ. So we're free. We're children of promise. But that's not all the Bible says here, because as you probably noticed, sandwiched between verse 26 and verse 28, is that interesting quote from the Old Testament in verse 27. This is a quote from Isaiah 54. We're actually going to go to Isaiah 54 in a minute. But first, let's just look at that verse 27 one more time. Look down at verse 27 again. The Bible says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one that does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So it's a little confusing, but notice what's going on here. There's a barren one who is not in labor. Meaning, someone who can't have kids and who isn't having kids. And yet, that person is having children and a lot of children. And now that, that sounds strange, but almost everyone acknowledges that the main point here is that this shows us that this therefore isn't talking about physical children. Instead, this is a promise in the Old Testament about non-physical spiritual children. 
So that's what Paul quotes. We'll talk more about that, but to see it more clearly, and why Paul quotes this verse here in Galatians, it's pretty fascinating. Turn with me now to Isaiah 54, if you can. Isaiah 54. It'll be in the middle of your Bibles. If you're using a pew Bible, I believe it's on page 614. Isaiah 54. I really want you to go there if you can. And I want us to go here together because this is a famous section from Isaiah. And scholars will point out that Paul is super intentional in the fact that he quotes this verse from here. So Isaiah 54. And so the verse Paul is quoting is Isaiah 54.1. If you're there, you can see that. But before we even look at that, Look actually at what comes right before Isaiah 54, verse 1. And what comes before that? Well, it's actually that whole famous chapter of Isaiah 53, which is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. And that's because there in Isaiah 53, as you can see, for example, in verses 4 through 6, we have someone bearing the sorrows and transgressions of others, also they can be forgiven and healed. And then later in that chapter, right in verse 10, we have that someone coming back to life. And then finally, to end Isaiah 53, in verses 11 and 12, right before uh, Isaiah 54, 1, we have that person making many people righteous, meaning right with God. And it's all because he, quote, bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In other words, Isaiah 53 is a promise a prophecy about this suffering servant and savior. He suffers and dies to totally save others in their place. And as we know, that happened in history in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's Isaiah 53. And then, right away, after that, comes Isaiah 54, verse 1. And remember, chapter and, verses division, chapter and verse divisions were added a thousand years even after the New Testament was written. And so this is important. So for Paul, what we call Isaiah 54 verse 1 was simply the next verse after this famous chapter in Isaiah 53. And what's Isaiah 54 verse 1 about? Well, it's all about that idea of spiritual children. And this means implied here then is that these children in Isaiah 54 verse 1 come about because of the promise of what that suffering servant will do. It's amazing. They don't come about because of what they do, but they come about because of what the suffering servant will do. And that's still true of us in Christ today. But that's not even all that's here in Isaiah. So finally on Isaiah, now notice the two verses after Isaiah 54, verse 1. So look down at verses 2 and 3. The Bible continues. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. So I know, maybe that sounds confusing, but notice that second to last line there in verse three, quote, and your offspring will possess the nations. All right, and that should sound familiar because amazingly, that's exactly the promise to Abraham that Jesus and the gospel fulfills. The promise that has been repeated over and over in Galatians. God promised Abraham that his offspring would possess and bless the nations. 
And that's fulfilled in Jesus. And it's fulfilled in us who are now in Jesus. As Abraham's spiritual children by faith from all over the world. And so I hope you see that. And Paul is quoting this Isaiah 54 verse 1. But he knows that this is not a random verse. Rather, before is the suffering servant who dies to save. And then in Isaiah 54 verse 1, it's about spiritual children because of what that suffering servant did. And finally, what's the result? The nations being blessed. As you and I, as Gentiles, can testify to. And as God promised. But now turn back with me to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. So that's why Paul quotes that Old Testament verse here in Galatians 4. And as for us, the the real point is that's now us, church, in the gospel. We are not those who are better than others. We are not those primarily about what we do. Instead, we are those saved by the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We are spiritual children of God, born again, not through our works, but through God's promise. And we're those from all over the nations, fulfilling God's promise to bless the world in Christ with the gospel. And, and, and think, think about it. All that is such a different identity than what we'd have if we were in just typical religion, isn't it? Because in typical religion, what's the worshiper's identity? Who are they? Well, often a sinner, yes, in need of forgiveness from the deity, but then one's identity in typical religion is just doing enough to please the deity. See that all over the world. That's who we are if we're just in typical religion. But now compare that to the gospel. (laughs) Who are we in the gospel? Well, yes, we're still broken sinners, but we are totally saved once and for all through what the suffering servant did. And now we are new spiritual children of God. And why? Because this is God's plan. This is God's promise that he fulfilled in Christ for the nations. And you and I just get to be a part of that. Which leads us to our third and final section. This is the ending of chapter four. And here we're going to see Paul take back up that analogy he's been using from Genesis. And he'll end with some practical takeaways for us who do believe this gospel. And for this... It would be in verses 29 through 31, and we're going to see three takeaways, simply one in each verse. But first, we're just going to read all the verses together, so look down at your Bibles. Paul continues in verses 29 through 31. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the, three, the free woman. So three takeaways, one in each verse. First, look again at that verse 29. There Paul talks about, as you heard, how Ishmael, who was, quote, born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. And Paul says, so also it is now. And that's then really the first takeaway for us. We can say it's just expect persecution, but that word in our English I think sometimes sounds a little too intense, and so it can sound like persecution doesn't apply to us. But instead, most basically, knowing the story from Genesis, the idea simply is here, expect people to not like the gospel 
and maybe not like you because of the gospel. But on this, and importantly for us, we need to realize that the reason they don't like the gospel here from Galatians isn't usually because they don't like God. Because remember, in Galatians here, these people were still calling themselves Christians. Same with the false teachers. And for us today, over 90% of Americans say they believe in God. So that's usually not the reason. Rather, people usually don't like the true gospel because people like relying on their works and their flesh. And people like the idea that their lives are basically more about them instead of about Jesus and the gospel. And in fact, let me, let me just say, if, if that's you, perhaps you're here this morning and you realize that you don't trust in Jesus, you don't really love the Lord and trust him in this gospel, perhaps it's because of this. Or perhaps it really boils down to the fact that you like your life being more really about you and what you do. But if that's the case, let me just say, that that may seem better to you at first, more fulfilling at first, but in reality, that self-focus is honestly more enslaving, as the Bible has been saying over and over this morning. It's less freeing, because because true freedom for all of us doesn't come from just doing whatever we want, because when we do that, we hurt ourselves. Instead, true freedom is knowing that you are forgiven and secure in your life and in God's family. It's knowing that you're totally okay and loved. And it's knowing that God is intimately in control of your life. That's what the gospel of Jesus offers. And so that's the first takeaway. Expect people not to like this gospel. Jesus sends his second takeaway. And for this, Look back at verse 30. We'll read it again. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So Paul's continuing this story from Genesis, but this is a direct, and we know that because this is a direct quote from that story, where Sarah in the story asks Abraham, after a lot of this happens, to cast Hagar out. And what Paul does here is he uses that to show us that we need to not only know that people will not like the gospel, but then as a second takeaway for us, we need to also cast out any false gospels as well. And I know that may sound harsh, just like that quote kind of does sound strong in the story in Genesis, but also on the other hand, we need to realize that the reason this is in our Bibles, the reason why God has said this is because God loves us, and he doesn't want us to go back into typical religion and slavery. And so essentially the call, the takeaway here is from God to stick to the one true gospel and therefore to cast out, cast out from our hearts, cast out from our churches, right? cast out from our families. And since it's Father's Day, cast out in how we father our children, right? cast out in how we talk to other people, cast out any falling back to life being mainly about what we do and about our efforts, especially in how it relates to the Lord. To cast out any inkling that makes your and I's living primarily about us, especially in church and how we relate to God, that we just need to be a good person. In love, we cast that out, right, in favor of the true, beautiful gospel. So this is the third and last takeaway, and this is a summary kind of takeaway in verse 31. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, 
but of the free woman. So Paul calls his fellow believers, he calls us through God's word, brothers and sisters here at the end of this paragraph and at the beginning of verse 28. And on the one hand, that is his typical way of talking to believers in the church with the word brothers. But notice the context. I don't think that's habitual here. Instead, remember verse 27 from Isaiah 54. We really are as Christians spiritually born anew in God's family. And so in a deep way, I hope we know we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And realizing that, right, realizing who we are in a way is the third and final takeaway for us. Because as you can see, that's what the Bible is essentially calling us here to, to do in verse 31. It's calling us to know who you are. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So the takeaway is, remember that. You're free in Christ. And so don't become enslaved to human effort. Don't become enslaved to non-biblical human traditional rules. And overall, just don't become enslaved in your way you relate to God or in the way you live as a Christian. Become enslaved to just doing what you do, taking things into your own hands. Fight that. Cast that out because we're free in Jesus. So that's our passage, church. The gospel has been illustrated. We saw the Old Testament quote about who we now are. And finally, we saw three takeaways. And so now as we come to a close, and as we close yet another chapter here of Galatians, I just want to close by saying, man, I just really hope that we all get and embrace what the Galatians has been saying over and over about Jesus in the gospel. And, and, and really, the Bible has been saying this, I know, over and over and over. And so, on the one hand, I can understand perhaps it's been a little repetitive to you. Right? Hearing over and over and over that the gospel is that we're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. And yet, on the other hand, we have to all admit that what's so fascinating is that Paul and all the other apostles could repeat this to churches over and over and over back then. And still today, we can hear this week in and week out at a church like here at ECC. And yet still, people downplay grace and fall back into typical religion. And so once again, as we close, I just really hope you understand and embrace what the Bible has been saying again and again. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Son of God, son of man. He came, lived, died on the cross, rose again, reigns right now. He's coming back one day. And as for us, we are sinners, yes, in need of forgiveness, alienated from God on our own, but we are loved. And we can be right with God through what Jesus did. And not only that, but through what Jesus did, we are God's secure children now and when we die and forever. And what Galatians has been mainly about is how we then receive all that. right? And what we are all so prone to do, even after hearing this a million times, we're all so prone to work for it. Be good enough for it. Follow enough rules. Go to church enough. Be sorry for my sins enough. Be better than other people or whatever it is for you. But the Bible has been saying over and over, no, that's not it. That's not Christianity. We're the sinners. He's the Savior. We just receive what Jesus did full stop. And so again, I hope we all get that. And yes, it is true. From, from there, we will now live different lives by the enablement of God's Spirit. And I want you to know, Galatians chapter 5 is actually going to talk about that. But still, 
in itself. The good news is what Jesus did for sinners. That's it. We just receive what he's done. Or finally, to use the picture of what we saw this morning, like Isaac, we are children, not of works, but of promise. And one last time, what did Isaac do to earn that? (laughs) Nothing. And so it is for us. Church, Christianity is about Jesus. It's about what God promised, what God did. And so for us, we essentially just look at that and we say, yes. We trust Jesus. We trust what God did and promised. And as the Bible told us this morning over and over, being like that, right, in our relationship with God and in how we live our lives is where we will find more true freedom. Amen? Let's pray.